Don't forget that we say naughty words on this podcast. And if you don't like naughty words, wear earmuffs or just don't listen. It's your choice. Betfred Sports presents the Doc Talk podcast. New customers in Iowa, Colorado, and Arizona get a free $20 bet when you download the Betfred Sports app and use the promo code DOCTALK. Make sure to join us for Behind the Point Spread Wednesday night at 8 on our YouTube channel. Also supporting the Doc Talk podcast, attorney Connor Orr at the law firm Orr, Horrigan & Flenty and Husker Hounds, two locations in the Omaha area and at huskerhounds.com. Please like our social media channels and send us emails if you have questions, doctalksports at gmail.com. And one more thing, if you'd be so kind, make sure to hit the like button on this episode. This is the Doc Talk Podcast 2022, episode 27. Dr. Rob going old school for this podcast. You going old school, my friend. I got, I got my old, my big eight t-shirt. My wife got me this. Really? I like that a lot. It is. Well, it was after the, uh, I had some comment this week. I think it was in reference to something from, I mean, obviously it was Oklahoma week, but somebody had a comment about old Oklahoma games. And I, I said something about really liking the big eight, so. My wife, my wife got online and picked it up. You know, with fancy graphics and everything that takes place, that's still kind of a cool logo, isn't it? It really is. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just a ton of nostalgia, but I, I always I liked it then. I like it now. You know, and I wasn't going to ask you this. This is going in a direction I never thought it was going to go. But looking back now, should Nebraska have joined the Big Ten Conference? I still say yeah. You know, I'm, I'm never going to say no to that because uh, – it's not like these coaching changes happen because of the Big Ten. And the other thing to think about is that Nebraska's coach when they went to the Big Ten was Bo Pelini. Yeah. Over the last 20 years, that's the most successful coach Nebraska's had. Longest tenured, most successful. Because I think he coached, what, two years longer than Solich? Uh, I believe so, yeah. What was it, so, nine years? Was it? Well, he was, oh, he was 08. To 14? Yeah, through 2014. So that's seven seasons. I thought he went longer than that. Yeah, seven seasons. 2014 was his last year. So, But, I mean, he was the most successful coach Nebraska's had in the last 20 years, and he encompassed that run from the Big 12 into the Big Big 10. He didn't get fired because he wasn't producing well within the Big 10. He got fired because Harvey Perlman hated his guts. Uh, I would agree with you on that. I would agree. And, and Sean Eichhorst was brought in to be the athletic director who would fire him. Let's not forget, Sean Eichhorst was hired without even Tom Osborne knowing. Tom Osborne had like zero input. He found out he was out of a job when he got invited to the hiring press conference. Is it? I mean, when you look back of all the fuck-ups that have happened in the Nebraska program over the course of from the hiring of Steve Peterson – it's amazing the stories that can be told. It really is. The, la- the lack of, I'm trying to way to phrase this, the petty lack of transparency. Yes. It, it, you know, I do a, for MCL Construction, I, I, I facilitate a, a team strategy building. We call it a project charter, where we get everybody from, from the owner's side, from the architectural side, to the engineering side, to the construction side. And I facilitate this meeting, and I spend I spend most of it talking about communication and the importance of communication, how we communicate with one another, and that the the success and failure of a project really doesn't come down 
to anything else but communication. If you don't know how to communicate, if you're not transparent with one another, if you're not honest with one another, it's hard to build trust. It's hard to build a culture. Just having that. everybody on the same page. Yeah, you got to have everybody on the same page. You really do. And it's fun because I use a lot of sports analogies and and start with the Osborne era because I think people relate to sports and business, right? They're, they're, because of the team and culture atmosphere, I think people understand teams. They understand culture, and sports is probably the best way to demonstrate that. It's something mo- maybe not everybody, but most people can relate to it to some degree. I mean, yeah. even, even if you're not a great athlete, even if you weren't the the high school sports star, you've usually got a team you follow. Yes. I mean, might be volleyball, might be baseball. Maybe you're into golf. But but you get – there's something out there about sports that people just get. And that's why I said – you know, you look at Tom Osborne, right? Tom Osborne could have coached basketball, could have coached gymnastics, could have coached anything. He would have been good at it. It's, it's the John Cook principle. I, well, it's I, like I, I'm convinced you could take John Cook and put him in charge of any athletic team and he'd do well, which – it, it was pointed out to me this week that John Cook, I think my wife pointed this out to me. He was a high school football coach at one point. I did not know that. I, I swear to God that she she was the one who told me that, that he was a, he was a successful high school football coach at one point in his career. You know, because I got to get an Iowa rub in there. I've always said that about Dan Gable, right? Dan Gable could coach anything yeah. and, and would have won national titles coaching anything. He just happened to choose wrestling, right? I agree. What are you drinking, man? I'm drinking a... Uh, I'm drinking a Cordwalk Belgian style wheat. So I go. I, I think this is uh, coming from the coming from Steve again on yeah, his, these are, uh, yeah, his these cannonball are... run out of Wisconsin. I got a Three Sheep's Brewing Chaos Pattern Hazy IPA from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. This one's from Sheboygan too. I've never been to Sheboygan. You ever been to Sheboygan? I believe I've driven through there. I've been I'm, of all the places I've been in Wisconsin. I've been to been to Milwaukee, been to Madison, been to Stevens Point, been to Wausau, been to Green Bay. I think I've been to Oshkosh, been to Appleton, been to Rhinelander. You ever been to Rhinelander? You get to Rhinelander, you're going up there pretty far north, man. <laughs> you're, you're getting pretty far north I know I've when you're up in Green, Rhinelander. Green Bay, Appleton, um, been to Madison, been to Milwaukee. There's probably a few more in there. Yeah. Stevens I never Point. worked there. You worked there for I worked a while. there, yeah, and I couldn't wait to get out of there. And I don't, Truthfully, I, I think they couldn't wait for me to get out of there. That's why I, <laughs> I threw fisticuffs down with the, with the old boss and got fired. That'll usually get you shit camp. Yeah. Sorry, dude. Yeah. You, you had one of the best Twitter lines, and if you don't follow Dr. Rob on Twitter, you should, at DocTalkSports. Doc had a great Twitter line this week when somebody said, Hey, Doc, you should be in the running to be the head coach. <laughs> and you replied, and I'm paraphrasing here, yeah, um, it's more stressful than st- than my real job of saving lives, so I'll just stick with what I'm doing or something like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I remember the tweet. <laughs> it's it's kind of true, though. It, it, it is. And, of course, Nebraska went through a, 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 a tough week, and they played Oklahoma and got their ass kicked. And, I mean, they got their ass kicked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people who had some high hopes that you make that coaching change, you have Mickey come in, you've got a little bit of kind of this adrenaline rush off of all of that, a hope-based adrenaline rush that comes off of it, that you hope they can parlay that into some on-field success. The thing is, though, in hindsight, when you go back and look at the previous three games, in hindsight, we're now looking back and going, wow, 
we are not very good, and it was very evident in those three games because now you're looking at Northwestern, and Northwestern kind of had an ugly loss. They got beat the by Southern Illinois, yeah, dude. Yeah, that's not good. It's not a good look. So all of a sudden you're realizing, wow, Northwestern's not a very good team again. You look at North Dakota, and again you're sitting there going – there's a reason an FCS team took Nebraska into some pretty deep water there in the third quarter. You look at Georgia Southern. I think Georgia Southern, did. I thought they got beat this past weekend. Don't quote me on that. Trav, you're looking it up right now. But again, that Georgia Southern game, again, Georgia Southern's not a great team. There's reasons why Nebraska should have worried about Georgia Southern in terms of the fact that they're more athletic than North Dakota. They got a quarterback that's already seen Nebraska. They've got a pretty decent head coach. They're not going to be all that scared of coming into Memorial Stadium and playing Nebraska. Yeah, Georgia Southern got beat by UAB, Alabama, Birmingham. No, I don't think UAB's that bad. It, team. It, yeah, it's not a bad loss. Well, it's not a bad loss, but it's it, again, it's not like they got beat by Alabama. But when you beat Nebraska and then turn around and get beat by UAB. And then Northwestern gets beat by Southern Illinois. Yeah, the, this isn't a, this isn't you know kind of going back to one of my Twitter posts. This is an indictment on Nebraska, is what it is. It's it's not it's not a commentary on Georgia Southern. Well, and, and you know, on, Scott Spreicher said it a couple of times on Behind the Point Spread, which you can watch Wednesday nights at eight on our YouTube channel. Just subscribe to our YouTube channel. I have to do a search Doc Talk Sports. That you know he thought Nebraska's talent was so good that the only team that uh, the only teams that really matched up with Nebraska talent wise was Oklahoma and Michigan. I'm rethinking that whole thing. He had me believing it a little bit. I'm not buying it. I'm I'm not I'm not I, buying that anymore. I mean I've seen teams make some pretty remarkable changes in one year. I mean look at the change that you saw when Bo Pelini came in from 07 to 08. That 07 team was atrocious. Everybody was sitting around going, it's like, well, God, we thought Callahan could recruit. But, I mean, look at these guys. This is just an absolute disaster. And then they go out in 08 and 09, and all of a sudden everybody's like, well, Bo Pelini's an okay coach. But, I mean, in reality, he's just doing it with Callahan's recruits. That's the only reason he's doing it. I mean, well. I would say as far as a developer of players, Bo Pelini has been the best that Nebraska's had since Tom Osborne. I think so, but I also think in terms of – well, I was going to say game prep, but I think there was kind of there's been a lot of stories there about some of those big games where Bo Pelini would have a great game plan drawn up, and then on Friday night would sort of second guess himself, dump the entire defensive game plan, and restructure it, and send guys out there with essentially one evening's worth of prep time for a defense. That that was kind of the big thing, the the big knock, at least in terms of coaching capabilities that I saw that Bo had. I, th I think th his bigger problem was just he hated dealing with the media. He hated dealing with fans. He hated dealing with university administration. Although if I, mean, I think you put anybody in that university administration dealings that Bo had, I think it would frustrate anybody. Um but I thought his his overall coaching capabilities were actually pretty damn good. Well, they were and I and I thought so at the time too. I, my my mindset had always been, and a lot of this goes back to the Tom Osborne era, that if you've got a coach who's going to average nine and a half wins a year, 
man, that's somebody to kind of sink your claws into and lock up for a long-term contract. You know, so the Nebraska defense, we'll start with the defense because uh, we were recording this on Sunday, the 18th. Eric Schnander was fired uh, today. Uh, I don't think anybody's surprised by this. The last two games by the Nebraska defense were horrible against Georgia Southern, horrible against Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma, 10 of 16 on third down uh, conversion. They rushed for 312 yards. That's brutal. In this day and age where teams are so damn pass happy, the fact that you got a team going out there and rushing for over 300 on you is just sad. It really is. Were you surprised when, when you know, I, I was like, do we do what we did last week? Do we go live? Do we do, do we go balls to the wall on, on Eric Schnander getting fired? And then, uh, I, <laughs> I, I go to, I go to my son, Owen, who's, I go, should we go live tonight? Should we take phone calls? He's like, no. And I'm like, you know what? You're probably right. Do, do people – it's almost I, like – people think that Eric Schneider should have been fired first and maybe save Scott well, Frost for the Oklahoma game. I, I think kind of the question people had was, are you going to fire Schneider with Scott or are you going to fire him a week later so the new guy's got two weeks of prep time given the bye week? And it was the latter. Uh, I, I'm not sure anybody – I mean, in hindsight, some of this saw it always seems ungodly obvious in hindsight, but I, I think a lot of people were calling for Chenander's head and saying this is just just a disaster of a defense. There's no way he makes it through the season. So I'm not sure I was surprised about it when I first saw it. It was just the question was going to be when. What any more shakeups you think on the staff before? But there's not really much more you can because uh, you're not going to get rid of Whipple. You're, I mean, no. Um, I worry about the offensive line. I, I mean, you know, and you and I talked about this yesterday that it's it's hard to tell. And we go over some of this in one of our in one of the docs diagnosis we do that when you look at the offensive line, the question comes up, is it coaching or is it players? Is it development or is it lack of talent? And there's probably, it's always a degree of both. I mean, it's both play into it no matter what. Um, I, I do think some of it's just flat out talent because we've seen these guys under two different offensive line coaches and haven't seen a lot of development for either one. In, in regards to the coaching, though, and changes that you would like to have seen from last year to this year, I'm not seeing things like guys getting their pad levels down low in order to engage the defensive linemen. I'm not seeing leg drive, foot drive, where you're basically moving your feet constantly to push these guys uh it, it, it out of the way of the backs and clearing a hole. I'm not seeing that same foot movement that you'd like to see on pass protection. And these are some very basic things that we're not seeing out of this offensive line. That makes me worry about the coaching. And, and I, I've met Donovan a handful of times. He's a great guy. He's got a solid pedigree. You got a guy who's a pretty damn good offensive lineman up at Wisconsin. It's not as if he hasn't done this before. He has. He's got to know how you do this. And from a coaching standpoint, he's been hanging around the NFL for a few years. Again, it's again, granted, it was the Bears, but still, you you would think this is a guy that when it comes to having kind of these fundamental basics and being able to put them across to, to your players, the capability would be there, but we're not seeing the product on the field. 
And that's incredibly worrisome. Is it bad enough that you fire an offensive line coach midseason? Well, well, I don't know. We got a lot of emails, and people were asking, and you can always email us, doctalksports at gmail.com, that, you know, did Scott really just hire Donovan in a last-ditch effort to get Dom's kid? I mean, you you hope not, but again, that seems – I, I, you're saying there, there's a lot of smoke to that argument for there not to be some fire. I, I, exactly. But you hear a lot of stories also about how Frost botched that whole thing up. So it's it's. I'm sitting here and and, and like I said, the the little things that have filtered out, especially over the last few weeks here, when you knew things were going downhill, when you knew Scott was probably not going to survive this, all of a sudden people have gotten awfully comfortable telling you some of these stories. Well, I thought it was interesting because we went live last week, you know, and I said, hey, we're going to go down a little rabbit hole here. You, you kind of kept me out of the rabbit hole, but we brought some of it up. We didn't go viral like Michael Severe did on the Herdat podcast. <laughs> but but I, if you go back and listen to what we said, and you can find it on YouTube, and you can find it on Podbean, we, we kind of we said a lot of the same things about what was going on on the outside, right? And now, I'm just going to bring it up right now. We're, you know, I, I, I chase rabbits. Brendan Stye, man, I, I got to be wondering what's going to happen I don't think he's going to lose his job, and I don't think he should. But he had, I hope not because I, I, well, I mean, there's behind-the-scenes stuff he's telling, but I don't think any of this stuff is surprising to anybody. No, it, it, it's funny. The only kicker he, is, he, is he's saying it is in an official capacity yes, as a member of the there, Nebraska media. There's a difference between you sitting here stuff. and telling me one of those exact same stories it's because he put it out there now. I can I could put this I can put the exact same stuff yes. out there. On social media, on this podcast, on a broadcast, on some other broadcast, guess what? The University of Nebraska can't fire me because yeah. I don't work for them. So uh, Brendan Stye, he, he was at KLIN down in Lincoln doing a Friday football show. And, you know, hey, listen, this is not where our studio is. is not a broadcast element. Uh, we don't record anything until we say, hey, hit the record button because I'm in charge of all of it, right? Well, when you're doing a live stream at a radio station, you got to assume that your mics are hot. It's always hot. It's always hot. They're That's recording rule number one. The everything. mic's always hot. And he he became a victim of a hot mic. Yeah. And and during a commercial break, where you think you're in a safe space, right? I mean, I, I don't like the word safe space because it makes me sound like this progressive, you know, lib. But it's one of those things where you think, hey, I'm I'm just shooting the shit with the guys. It's going fine. I'm in a safe space. But yet the fucking camera's recording and the microphones are picking everything up. I guess here's my take on this is that, in my opinion, this should not be a fireable offense. I would agree with you. In any way, shape, or form. And a lot of that goes back to, let me ask you this. Is there anybody or anything Brendan should be apologizing to no. or apologizing for? No, I, I think if anything, you know, Trev might be upset that some of the dirty laundry within the athletic department is out there. I think Trev yeah, does it's a like re- we didn't know there's not dirty. That's laundry. true, but it's never come from an official capacity athletic department that you know Scott Frost skipped a Zoom when they announced USC and UCLA you, 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 coming to the Big Ten. You didn't have you didn't have an official person in the athletic department say uh, he he basically 
fleeced or stole money from Nebraska because he got fired and got $15 million. You know, I mean, there's a lot of – when you have that position, it changes, it changes a little bit. It does. The messaging is not supposed to be coming from yes. within the department. Yes. But at the same time, the only thing he would be apologizing for would be to Trev for, hey, that's not the venue in which this information should have gone out. But beyond that, I'm sitting here going, it's like, I mean, it doesn't hurt my feelings. If I'm within the athletic department, my feelings aren't hurt. If I'm Trev, the way I'm looking at this is, am I going to ruffle more feathers by firing a a rather prominent member of Nebraska football history? Who's a good fundraiser, right? He's a great guy. I think yeah. he does good at what he does, and I think people connect with Brendan very well. He happens to be a buddy of mine, so obviously I'm kind of biased here on this, but if I'm Trev, I'm looking at this situation and essentially thinking, okay, you know what? If there was any reason that anybody had any doubts as to why we fired Uh, Scott Frost, why these decisions were made, why Scott as a head coach was never going to work out. This is just reinforcement for the decision Trev made. You know, there's a, if, I don't know, you can go find it. I'm not going to relate the same story. Brendan relates a story. I'm going to call it the boat story. Yeah. Okay, I was right there. I yeah, was on the. I was on that boat. And, and to be fair, and I, I've told this story to a thousand people, but you've never told it on the podcast no, because you, the because juice, you told it with because hold on real quick. And I'm not going to because it doesn't need to be said. You can go find it. Brendan yeah. told it for me. So yeah, and, but and, and I mean the gist of it is is that it was that was the moment, and this was a this was over a year ago when this happened. That was the moment in my mind where I thought. Yeah, I don't see this working. This is never going to work because Scott is not a CEO of a program. He is not that head of the program. He is not the parent to the family. This isn't going to work. A head coach has to be the parent. They can't be your friend. They have to be the CEO. They have to be the place where the buck stops. They have to be that leader in that particular incident. And by the way, I'm going to tell everybody who's listening to this, this wasn't some incredibly risque drug alcohol hookers and blow kind of story it was actually kind of a little subtle social thing where it's just one of those like yeah th- this guy's the player's buddy he is not their coach and that was that was the point where I was just like yeah this shit's not flying when, when the head coach is probably more your buddy than he is your coach it's not going to work yeah, I mean, they're, they're interesting stories. I don't think it's a fireable offense. I think Trevor Price says, hey, uh, you're not going to do radio for a little bit. Uh, and and, and, I'm, and I don't think KLIN, I could be wrong, I don't think KLIN released this. I think what happened was somebody was recording the stream and somebody's going, holy shit, they don't shut the mics off during commercial break. They kept watching. I, I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to hit record. Yeah. Because, and then you can't do anything I hope about not. it. If somebody did, it's kind of it's an incredible dick move by them against... You mean from KLIN? Yeah, and I know some people at that point can kind of pull the whole, well, we're the media, and if you don't know the mic's still running, it's fair game. We're going to put this out there. Well, that's a dick move by KLIN. I don't think think they did that. They had stuff going, and people kept watching. Yeah. 
And it's like, hey, that I don't have a problem. It's like, hey, we're going to take a commercial break. Yeah, you're off the radio, but the live stream's still going because that's the big thing now, right? Everybody's like, well, I mean, look at us. We we've got an audio podcast. Our podcast is on on, is on YouTube. We're 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 expanding that, but we can edit that too. We we have a. I mean, we're we're never going to go out over the airwaves. If we're not live, (laughs) yeah, we do some live stuff, but yeah, but but we protect that. I think, yeah. But I would I, never I, say, I mean, hey, just take a, a commercial when... break. You've got to shut them fucking mics off. Yeah. Well, you do. You would think. Yeah, you, you would think. You have to shut Sports the mics media off. media and politics. Nobody does. <laughs> it's like a Project Veritas video or something <laughs> oh like that. Oh, my God. No, it, I mean, it's uh, it, it's just, it was an interesting week for Scott because he, he's not, he, he can't defend himself now, right? Because... Oh, he could. He could come out and do an interview, but I don't think... a $15 million shield. This is the thing that, you know, I hadn't seen the video yet, but my wife pointed out to me the Ed Orgeron video where he was was doing... Did you the $17 million interview? How much you going to pay me? $17? Or $17 million? What door do you want me to go out? And how fast? (laughs) And how fast? Yeah, I mean, that was one of those like... (laughs) Dude, if you get fired and they're paying you millions of dollars... That's the attitude to have. I mean, hey, sometimes shit doesn't work out. It, it, and that's why I find I find it interesting because everybody's on Twitter, everybody's on Facebook right now going, oh, my God, I think this guy would be a good fit. I think this guy would be a good fit. You're into the Army guy, right? Although I, I'm, I'm, I, I had climbing on there, and i got to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of pulling back. Uh, off of Chris a bit. Hey, so. Lance Leipold won at Houston yesterday. Leipold is looking better and better. I, I watched that game. That offense is fun. It's a fun offense. The defense isn't bad. I know Houston scored some points, but Houston always scores some points. All those, everybody in that conference does. But it, the score was actually not as close. The, I'm, I'm sorry. The game was not as close as the score would indicate. I texted him last night on Twitter. I said, you probably don't even run this account anymore, but congratulations, you're doing great things. Did he get back? He got me. He goes, I run the account, man. I run the account, and thanks for getting a hold of me. Of course, you know, him and I go back to when he was at UNO and even when he went to work for Bill Callahan at Nebraska. Yeah, that's pretty cool that he got back. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised, actually. Now, it was after they got back, they, they, they flew back from Houston to KU. Yeah, you were and still late. I was still on the air waiting to, for the <laughs> Iowa game to get over. And I checked my Twitter feed. I'm like, oh, my God, Coach Leipold got back to me. That's, that's really cool. I, I feel like he – that, that was like, wow, he, he, he still remembers, you know, one of those things. Good, but, good coaches remember yeah. everyone. But at the end of the day, the, my, my, I had a point here, and that was – you never know who's going to work out. You just—it's a crapshoot. It's a fifty-fifty thing, man. And there's there's some guys that I think are intrinsically good coaches. I mean, I, Nick Saban can go anywhere, and he would do a pretty damn good job. I think I think Ferentz can go most any place, and would do a pretty good job. I actually think Ferentz has handicapped himself. By being at Iowa, for by so long? being at Iowa, I I, I I think from a recruiting standpoint, it's brutal. It's, which honestly, Nebraska, if you remove the 1990s, the fan support, the infrastructure, and the facilities, I think Nebraska turns into Iowa really quickly in terms of difficulty of recruiting. Well, with 1.8 million people, and even Trev brought it up in his when he fired Scott was you know this is still a state of 1.8 million people. It has challenges to to coach football here. It really it? does. But I mean, you look at all of these what I would consider pretty good coaches right now. I think Lincoln Riley goes most places. 
and does fairly well. I mean, I, I think like an Urban Meyer, a, a Stoops brother. I mean, well, maybe not Mike. Um, well, hold on. You brought up Urban Meyer. So they're doing the, the Fox Big Noon kickoff show. You had the entire crowd start chanting, we want Urban. And then you had people God, in the stands. To listen to. Then you had people in the stands wearing higher Urban Meyer shirts. I, that kind of surprised me. I, it's a I, little desperate. I mean, for for how much Nebraska fans like to brag on being honest, truthful, doing it the right way, they just want to win, Rob. They just want to win. They're like, fuck at it, this, hire Urban at, Meyer. At this point, I think they're starved for it. Yes. I mean, I... So let me ask you a question. If he brings in Aaron Hernandez, we'll deal with it later. Okay, let's not do that. Well, you but... lived through Lawrence Phillips, so that worked. Yeah, <laughs> Lawrence hadn't killed anybody while he was in Lincoln. He nearly did, but it's a... There's some apples and oranges differences there a little bit. I, I guess what I was going to go back to is that I mean, you look at Devaney and a lot of his assistants. I mean, those guys were still around when I hit the door in Lincoln. Yeah. Now, they've gotten pretty old, but most of that coaching, I shouldn't say most, probably about half that coaching staff was still in Lincoln, and the other half was out coaching somewhere in either the NFL or the rest of the Big Eight. That was kind of a, that was a rough crew, Devaney and his assistants. Yeah. I mean, that was not these clean li- – I mean, Tom Osborne was like the only clean-living guy on that coaching staff. The rest of those guys were a bunch of whiskey-drinking you – know, I think Devaney was more scotch. But um, I'm just saying it was kind of a rough crowd. That It wasn't the cleanest group on the planet. And we we were perfectly fine with that. For the better part of over a, for about a good decade, sixty-two to what, sixty-two to seventy-two. Yeah, that Devaney was the head coach in Lincoln, won a lot of games, couple national titles, brought in Tom Osborne, and half a half of Coach Osborne's staff. I mean, it's it's not like, I mean, it's not like Milt, Dan, and Charlie were a bunch of choir boys. No. I, I drank more than a few beers with those guys over the years. So, would you take Urban Meyer? If Tre- I don't think he's going to. I don't think Trev Alvarez is going to hire Urban Meyer. There's too much baggage that goes with it. I'm just surprised at the amount of support he saw on I, I Fox agree. Big News, Big News uh, kickoff, and, and within T-shirts in the. Yeah, in the I, I I agree. The the other thing to answer your question, I would say no. I would rather have a very stable, highly respected program builder, somebody like Leipold, somebody like Munkin. Those are the kind of guys that I would love to see in Lincoln. Um, Urban would be great. The thing is, is the whole time everybody would be sitting around and in the back of their head, they'd be sitting there going like, okay, is he covering up for one of his assistant coaches' transgressions? What's he going to do in terms of turning his head with players coming to Lincoln? Fans don't like that stuff. I mean, the whole Mo Washington ordeal with Scott Frost, people didn't like that. Fans did not like that. And nor should they. Yeah, I mean, it's you love it when those guys are scoring touchdowns, but the moment something else pops up off the field, 
people turn on you pretty damn quick. What do you think of Mickey Joseph's first game as as a head coach? I I don't think it's fair to even judge him, right? And that's why we've waited I, so long. And I I completely agree. And I mean, I know a lot of people actually kind of see that's the thing where I go back to the whole this is an indictment on the last five years. This is an indictment on this versus that. What we saw Saturday was not Mickey Joseph as a head coach. It was the fallout of the last five years, all the other coaches, Chenander's defense. Some of it's their recruiting, how they recruited. I, you know, we can do we could do like a multi-part podcast series on Nebraska's recruiting and the type of players they went after. Because right now I'm looking at that offensive line and I, and at the time when those guys were getting recruited and they were signing these guys, th- this was stuff that we were looking at and going, okay, there's a problem here. I, I don't like the type of guy they're recruiting, the type of these players they're bringing in, and I don't see these guys ultimately succeeding in Lincoln. It's not like anybody's going to look back at Turner Corcoran or Bryce Benhart and say, hey, here's a couple of recruits that panned out really well. Yeah, they started, but they started because we didn't have anybody else. And they were kind of, they've kind of been a disaster on the field. Um, I look at a guy like Teddy Prohaska, where I think you've got a guy that has NFL caliber tools in the toolbox. I, at this point, I just I worry about durability as an issue for him. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I look at it and go, did, did Trev. Trev keeps saying that Mickey has a has a chance, and I and I don't disagree with that. I I just think it's going to be hard to turn this thing around over the course of a year. I don't think the talent's there. I don't think the schedule from here on out really works in their favor. Though the next you get a bye week, and then you get Indiana and you get Rutgers, so there there is some opportunity there. Yeah, but again, okay, look at what Nebraska has shown on the field. We lost to a really bad Northwestern team. We got destroyed by Oklahoma because that was the first, what I would call, that was the first good team we've played. And I think Oklahoma's pretty good. Yeah. I really do. They've got great athletes everywhere. They got an aggressive defense. Their offensive line is fun to watch, Block. If you like offensive line play, go watch Oklahoma's offensive line. The, uh, But, I mean, North Dakota that's what you're hanging your hat on right now as far as a win goes? It's an FCS school, and they, God, they really pushed us. And then again, Georgia Southern, you've got an okay, uh, what did we decide, their Sun Belt? Uh, yes. So you've got an okay Sun Belt team, a former FCS school, that, that came in and just obliterated our defense. I mean, it's... God, that's that's fucking embarrassing. It, it's not like we're. Let me put it this way: you, you're looking at Georgia Southern, an FCS, a former FCS school, comes in and almost puts 470 up on you, or was it 475? I can't remember. Yeah, shy of 500 yards on your defense. You think Oklahoma's not going to do that? Oklahoma had its way, and it, it, it was oh god, really, it was hit and giggle. It, but the weird thing was, speed was it wasn't. 
all around every phase of the game, it wasn't close. I watched the game going, yeah. there was no Nebraska didn't match up anywhere. No, the the one thing I would throw in there is that when Dylan Gabriel ripped off that 60-yard yeah. touchdown run early in the first quarter, there was just a little bit I saw, kind of a little pullback by the Nebraska players where all of a sudden a little edge came off their hype. And then after Oklahoma went up 14-7, to Nebraska had one or two more reasonable series on defense. They had another series on offense where they actually moved the ball pretty well, didn't score. And then it was like just their mood just kind of, they kind of did this, you know, we don't think we're going to win that game. It was kind of like the feel I got watching it was like being in the stadium when Iowa blocked the punt last year and scored. When, when that happened, following that Iowa score, Nebraska still had a touchdown lead over Iowa. Yeah. But it was like the entire stadium, including every player on that sideline, the, the, the added, I mean, the air just went out of the place. Every player on Nebraska's sideline and during, during that Iowa game, when you still had a one-touchdown lead, their attitude just went to, huh, I think we're going to lose now. And I saw that halfway through the first quarter of the Nebraska game. First half, first quarter, I thought guys were playing really strong all throughout the game, all throughout the game, all throughout the first half of the first quarter. And when I say all throughout, offense was getting after it, defense was getting after it, guys looked fired up. I saw an attitude that somehow they need to be able to keep that going for four quarters, but I haven't seen this Nebraska team come out and fight for four quarters in, a, in quite a while. I mean, when you look at that defense, I think we're finding out how big a deal it was to lose guys like Cam Taylor, Britt, um, a couple of these other guys on the team that, you know, you, you had these three or four fifth-year, sixth-year seniors that all of a sudden are gone. And, and that makes a difference here. It's just that's a lot of experience. That's a lot of heads-up play by guys um, holding the rest of the group together, and all of a sudden all that experience is gone. What quarterback impressed you the most? Was it Casey Thompson or Chubba Purdy when he got in? <laughs> and I only I, – I, uh, I, I laugh. I know. Because once we got past the second quarter, man, I was – You were watching the Augie game. I was watching Augustana play. I'm, I'm watching it. There was a couple of other games going. I was bouncing between. It's just – it's hard to watch when the product is that bad. And it is. I mean, it's – there. Where, see, where people are worried Debbie, about what you're saying right now. But I'm is, not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but I mean, I'm going back to what I said earlier in the podcast. It's hard to it's hard to overemphasize how bad a team this is. When you look, I mean, we were we were after the first three games, and that was the point of the schedule. We were supposed to be three and zero. We were one and two, and it's a pretty fucking questionable one and two because that one is an FCS team that was still knocking us around halfway through the second half. That's not a good team. It is. We had no chance against Oklahoma 
Zero. There was no chance Nebraska was going to go out and ride in an emotional high based off of Mickey Joseph's exuberance and pull that out. Wasn't going to happen. I love Mickey. I actually think Mickey would make a very good head coach. I'm not saying he's the best option for Nebraska, but I do think Mickey's a very good coach. But there's no way you go out with a team this bad and turn it around in four days. And the and the worst part of it is it's it's not the four days, it's the fact that they're this bad. And they are bad. They're pretty fucking and I, bad. I don't know. Does a bye week help with that? I mean, what what can you do it now does. in a bye week though? But what, what maybe the fact that you get to play Indiana. Yeah, again, but I think Indy let me ask you this. Is Indiana better or worse than Northwestern? I don't know the answer to that. Probably better. I think they're a little better. From what I've seen in person watching them play, I think Indiana is a little bit better team than Northwestern. I'm not saying a lot. But they've got got good enough athletes to do some damage. I would agree with you on that. But you get Indiana at home, which is good. Right? Okay, North Dakota pushed us around at home. Georgia Southern kicked I'm just saying, the, coming off the bottom. Georgia Southern look, kicked the shit out of us at home. The at home doesn't matter. Just, I hate saying that, but it, anymore it doesn't. For the record, uh, it's the Iowa guy looking for the silver lining here. I'm just telling you, I'm really the only thing that can salvage any hope out of this se- season is the fact that we made a coaching change. And I think Mickey plans on basically a heavy emphasis on fundamental practice over the next two weeks. Well, if I'm Mickey, I'm practicing tackling and blocking and basic blocking skills all week. And were you surprised? Honestly, whoever's coaching tight ends needs to go coach the goddamn offensive line, how to lock up and block a guy. And you heard that, how the tackling came up yesterday. I think it was that they haven't tackled in like four years. Yeah, what did, was tag? it Farmer who said that? I think so. I, I forget said, who it was. It doesn't surprise me. We've been playing. We've been doing tag for four years. You have to go live. Like I, I had the again. I had this. Kind of, my wife and I were discussing. We've been talking. You can tell she she gets me. She does. She gets me. Um, but no, it's we were talking about that, and even she was like, "Holy crap! How that." Everybody makes – she made the point that every coach makes the point. You play like you practice. You play in games like you practice during the week. If you're not tackling in practice, how the hell are you going to tackle in a goddamn game? You, you Like shit, right? Exactly. It's going to be like – it's going to be dog shit. Where did that come to play? When did, when did people start – is that an NFL thing? What, what Where did that come to play where you just don't go live and practice anymore? You know – there were some NFL. T- I remember the 49ers were notorious for that, but the 49ers were also notorious for you had a core group of guys like Joe Montana and Jerry Rice, but then they'd bring in all of these like the 49ers would always bring in like these 12 year veterans, plug them into their roster, and then go kick the shit out of everybody with the this really, really light, very laid back practice schedule. Not a lot of teams could do that, and most teams couldn't. And again, you know, I've made the point frequently on this podcast that every level of football that I'd been at, when I went from high school to college football, 
the thing that impressed me the most was how much emphasis was placed on just basic fundamentals. Footwork, body positioning, where your hand placement's going to be, where your head placement is going to be. And then I went from college football to the NFL, and again, it goes back to these fundamental drills. It's, it's Again, it's footwork, it's head position, it's shoulder positioning. When you would look over at the defense, guess what they're practicing? Tackling drills in the NFL. Head position, shoulder position, leg drive, wrap-up. Those were things that you'd look over at the defense that they were practicing. There's a lot of ways to drill this stuff. And, you know, when I was at Nebraska and, and when I was in the NFL – yeah, you would tackle guys in practice. Now you weren't trying to kill anybody. But if it was a full pad practice, you were you'd go ahead and tackle. You wouldn't you wouldn't hit the quarterback. That was the only thing. Everybody else you got to tackle. I know everybody's on board with it, but what do you think of and I, let me use my analogy here. Cuz I think it's a raw raw thing. You know, Mickey took away the black shirts and people are like, "Yeah, yeah." But to me, I, this goes back to, I think it was Gary Barnett or it might have been uh, one of the other coaches, Dan Hawkins, when Colorado was just playing like shit, they, they took the buffalo off the helmet. You don't, you don't deserve the buffalo on the helmet. You know, to me, it, to me these are just... more of a distraction. It, these are gimmicks yeah. that really don't... Does it really motivate you? If somebody takes a black shirt away... I'm, I'm being serious. Does if it motivate you? If you are a good team that plays well... If you're if if you're a highly talented unit, then yes, it does mean something. If you're a good football team, then it means something. Rob, you have a lot for the, of for the for the those defenses of the '90s, which you got to keep in mind. I mean, I I was sitting here thinking about the fact that you had Travis Hill and Trev Alberts, and they were NFL guys backed up by guys like Dante Jones, who's an NFL guy, who was backed up by Jared Tolmich and Grant Wistrom, who were NFL guys, who were backed up by Chad and Chris Kelsey and Mike Rucker, who were NFL guys. I mean, I just went rush ends only right there, and I just went basically from like, what, 92 to 98, 99. I just went seven years, eight years of Nebraska football, and it was nothing but NFL guys who were backed up by NFL guys who were backed up by NFL guys. When you got a room of NFL guys and only two of them get to wear that black shirt, that's a big deal. That black shirt means something. If you're if you're in a crew of NFL guys, that black shirt means something. The offensive line I played on, I played in, in you and I think we talked about this yesterday. Yep. The offensive lines that I played on in the four seasons that I played, I played with two um I played with two college football hall of famers and an NFL Hall of Famer and three different Outland Trophy winners. That's just on the offensive line in the four-year span that I played there. We didn't have we didn't have a black shirt or a red shirt or a white shirt or whatever. We just, I mean, my senior year, we called it the pipeline. That's when the pipeline started yeah. my senior year. 
But, I mean, to be a starting member of Nebraska's offensive line in your competition over a four-year span is two college football Hall of Famers, a guy in Canton, Ohio, and three different Outland Trophy winners. If you can crack the starting lineup there, that means something. That's the, that was our equivalent of a black shirt is just being able to even start. I mean, and so yeah, it means something at that level when you're getting when you're getting freaking boat raced by Georgia Southern. Who gives a fuck? It really doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter because I don't. You have a lot of you have a lot of people now who don't understand the traditions. You've got a lot of imports and, and, and transfer portal guys who they don't care. They're there for the money. They're they're, they're well, and, and what they thought was going to be maybe a better shot at the National Football League. But they, they don't have really any emotional <laughs> attachment to what Nebraska. What do you think Sean Mathis is thinking right now? Thinking, why did, why did I come here? Yeah. I, I, he probably should have went to Texas. I, I Do. Am I wrong? No. Do you think Casey Thompson? Gary, Gary Patterson, he'd be back with his head coach. Do you, do, you think, do you think Casey Thompson's asking himself why he came here? Um... I don't know if he would have wanted to stay at Texas, although isn't Quinn Ewers hurt Quinn Ewers now? got hurt. Yeah. Well, and that's the argument about transferring in the transfer portal. I mean, it's Brooke Berenger, you know, this is this is a little bit of a delicate dance I'm doing here, but I mean, Brooke could have transferred and he didn't. And whether he lived or died in that plane crash, had he lived, Brooke would have gone down in history as an absolute legend. I would agree with you. So I maybe not one of the top five, but sure. A legend. I would agree. Don't be throwing beer at me, man. Don't be throwing stuff at me. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> it's, no, it, I, I still put Brooke in the top five. I know you do. I, you know, there's guys that I think due to circumstances and who they played with and around. I mean, you look at guys, Jerry Godowski, yeah. His senior season in in 89 was was absolutely amazing quite quite frankly was amazing. Amazing season that he had. Keith and McCant 91. One, these are one-year starters by the way. Um had this absolutely amazing season in 91. Took us to took us to a Big Eight title. I'm actually wearing that ring tonight. I, I went full Big Eight. Wow, so. you got the Big Eight ring, Big Eight shirt. I don't, I don't know, can you I don't know if the focus up. is going to show up, but yeah. Oh, there it is. It's there focusing. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So the 1991 Big Eight Championship ring. Um, and it's a pinky ring. Well, it is now. It used to fit. Then my fingers got arthritic, and now I can't get them on the <laughs> ring finger anymore. It's a size 14 ring. For are are you serious? Face. Yeah. I'm just a 10, 10 and a half. You're skinny. No, but it's going back to your original question about does stuff like that matter, the black shirts? Yeah, it matters if you're an elite unit. If you're not elite and you're one and three, and two of those three three losses were to nobody, then not nah, who gives a rat's ass. Rob, when's his last time that defense has been elite? Last year they played solid, but again, it was a bunch of sixth year seniors, I think. But were they elite? No. No. And that's why, I mean, people have this emotional attachment to the tradition that it, that are the black shirts. I get it, but I don't think you have these 
I don't think it's a badge of honor like it used to be. I mean, it, no. back, back uh-uh. when, I mean, I remember, I, I, I know if going back guys... in time, but that was big news when they handed out the black shirts when, when I was on Channel 42 and Channel 3. I mean, that was, hey, here's who got the black shirts today. I mean, yeah. That was a big fucking deal. Well, you knew th- this is Nebraska's starting defense. Here you go. Um, but again, if these guys, if this was an elite defense, I agree with you. Yeah, that would absolutely mean something, but. Um, you asked when were they last elite? I mean, 09, 2010. There's a couple of pretty goddamn good defense. Pretty good players on there, too. There really were. And you still had, I think, somewhat of an attachment to what Nebraska was. Maybe not fully. You know, if Bill Callahan would have had his way, he would have got rid of the tradition altogether. I think he was told, hey, you've got to hand these things out because it's it's what you do here. Yeah. Because he had like zero attachment. But you also got a guy in Callahan who has he ever been an a coordinator or head coach and had it work out? A coordinator, right? No. Yeah, you're I mean, right. Any, I mean just a good offensive line coach. He so he's a guy who is just this mind blowingly good offensive line coach. He's been a coordinator, but every time he does, there's kind of this like year and a half regression that just kind of they he they eventually go downhill and people are like ah now i remember why this guy's never a coordinator head coach for very long he is the greatest o-line coach ever we should not let this guy ever coordinate or head coach ever fucking again i mean every time he gets elevated past the o-line coach it, it just it never quite works out i mean it's I, I look at Callahan and I and I always think just you know he's good he's so good as an O line coach he's so good I think in terms of coming up with plays and diagramming plays but because you can come up with a player diagram a play doesn't mean you know how to call plays those are two different things Osborne was very good at calling plays Bill Callahan was very good at diagramming plays. There's a difference. There is a difference. Good coordinator is really a, a great offensive coordinator is really, really good at calling plays, understanding situations. Bill Callahan was horrible at that. Absolutely horrible at that. And even worse as a head coach, which is why when he comes in and he's like, Yeah, I don't get these these customs and traditions. We're just gonna trash that shit and not do it. Does Mark Whipple impress you? God, I don't know if I've got enough of a sample size to be able to tell. And I don't know if I don't know if he's got the tools in the toolbox to show what he can do. And I am mostly pointing at the offensive line when I say that. Because the offensive line's bad. It really it is. And what do you think horrible. Teddy Prohaska is going to come back? I don't know. I mean, in terms of the nature of his, of his injuries, where you look at the fact that I, I felt from the get-go that that coming back from the ACL was rushed. And then against, I mean, he went down against uh, Georgia Southern and hasn't been back yeah. since then. So, And that was the other knee that he was grabbing on the field when he came off of that game, came out of that game. I mean, is he built... Is he? I mean, he's got size, obviously, but there's other little things. Is he I, built like a, a worry, player that has stamina for I, his body? I worry about his durability, and this is one of those things. I mean, the analogy I use is 
imagine you've got a dowel rod, piece of dowel wood that's one foot long and one inch thick. If you go to try and break that, it's not, it's going to be kind of hard. Yeah, It's not super easy to break that. If you got a one inch diameter, one inch thick dowel rod that's 12 feet long, you're going to snap that in half like a twig with zero effort. It's the same kind of thing. I mean, some of these guys I worry about as tall as they are, can their bodies move and withstand the stress of this game when you're that long, when you're that tall? I mean, I I, I even look at some of the NBA guys. I mean, if you look at the really, really good, really durable big men in the NBA, it's the Shaquille O'Neal's. It's the... Uh, I mean, it's King James. It's these guys. I mean, it's Carl Malone. I mean, it's these guys that are built like huge tight ends. I mean, you go, I mean, the minute bulls are the... A brick shit house, I believe, is what we used to call it out there on the farm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the minute bulls are the exception. I mean, those the really skinny guys... I mean, I love Mikey more, but the first thing that happened to him when he hit the NBA was protein shakes in the weight room. Well, and I think you brought up the, the analogy of Greg Oden, right? Yeah, we it, talked about yeah. that, that you had a guy who was just physically the guy. He didn't stop. I mean, the guy was huge in, in terms of his height. Um, God, he could never survive. And here's the other thing is the combination of that physique with an early injury history and you got a guy in Teddy, I worry about the fact that he's had these injuries early on in his career. You don't often see guys like that rebound from these injuries and then the next three years of their career have this complete injury-free, very durable run. I mean, guys who get hurt tend to get hurt repeatedly. And, and we've already seen Teddy with two or three injuries now, and I worry about that because the kid legitimately has NFL talent. If he can get past the injuries, he's going to be impressive. Okay, I got a question, and I want you to answer it if it's purely coincidental or was it timed? Because I find it interesting that Scott Frost gets fired last Sunday, and three days later they announce a new collective, the Big Red Collective. <laughs> Now, we've had ABM up here. Does ABM go away and the Big Red Collective takes over what ABM is supposedly doing? Because I got. Considering how amazingly tied together uh, Jared and Scott are and have been, I think there's zero coincidence there. You know, if you're an investor. Are you worried about, hey, what's going to happen with our money? If you're a player, are you like, am I going to get paid? I, I, I mean, I, and I'm, not, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just saying I found it very interesting. I don't think it was a coincidence that that thing was launched like two, three days after Scott Frost was fired. No, but I mean, there was some smoke as well, too. That, there was. I mean, you had, um, you know, when, when Jared depending on who you talk to, left the university or Trev asked him to leave the university. Come on. You know know what it was. I know. Um, The fact that now Scott's been fired, 
I think all of a sudden in terms of any support that Jared and ABM have is all of a sudden that's gone. Yes. And I think that will be communicated to donors. I really do. I think that will be communicated. Already has been. Yes. I think. Are you involved with the Big Red Collective at all? I have. You know, it's something that I have stayed thus far at least quite a ways away from. I mean, I get... I got two kids in college and another one probably headed that way. I, I don't have a lot of discretionary income. Bullshit. Yeah, but I don't. You're loaded. I, I'm not. You're, you know what you are? You're cheap. Okay. I would not describe myself as cheap, but <laughs> I just. You're frugal. In terms of where I'm spending my money and putting my money at least at this point in time, I'm not seeing a need for my money to go to... And that's fair. ...to go to NIL. Yeah. You're a Knights of Exarvin type dude. Okay, but at least with that, <laughs> the money's going to a bunch, usually underserved kids who are getting a chance at college scholarships. Okay, I'll give you that. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not denying it. Not based on... Performance? Their, yeah, the, based on their... Uh, no, it is performance-based. It's how heavily, heavily well, need you know what I mean by that. Yeah, but it's not based on their ability to run the ball or make tackles. Uh, another coach fell this weekend. Herm Edwards gone out of Arizona State. That's That, that was like... A, Along with Scott, that that's like the that's like tied for the least surprising mood at, or yeah. move at this point. So I, I, I everybody, I'm, I got to be honest. I hadn't followed that story as much, other than the wins weren't there, and it just seemed it was one recruiting mishap or violation after another. I mean, almost nonstop. Well, he recruited during COVID. That's where the yeah. that, that, that's where it's coming from. And so it it just it seemed like God. There was just always issues with that. The other thing is is that I mean, from the get go, you've you've got a guy that I always considered Herm an NFL guy. It just there's a difference. I yeah, mean, between, I mean, he's 68. It's time. I mean, he yeah, he, he'll 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 ride yeah, out of the Paterno, valley just fine. Yeah, but Paterno and Bowden went into their 80s because they didn't know how to say no. They didn't know how to. I mean, look, I think Nick Saban's going to do the same thing. Nick Saban's what close to 70 or is 70? I think he is 70. And they just signed a 10 year deal. I I think he'll go as long as he can. Kirk Ferentz, I think, is going to go as long as he can because he wants Brian to have a head coaching job. And if he did, he needs to hang on for like ten more years uh, to give Brian a head coaching job. Brian Ference is not Kirk Ferentz. I would agree with I you one hundred percent. I love Kirk. I, I really do. I think he is a very very good coach. I, I do not think Brian Ference is a very good coach. I I would agree with you. And uh, damn, look at the Cyclone lovers putting it out there. Look at well, you know Matt Campbell's three and zero. I I I. I, I Hunter Deckers is a really good quarterback, and I think Iowa State has done so. Iowa State learned from last year. Iowa State did a good job because, remember, they were hyped big time last year. They started top five in the country, um, just did not go what they thought. They just laid low. They go about their business. They haven't really said anything, and they just – I I get it. I mean, the the thing with Matt Campbell, and I I, I am kind of – I'm a bit of a Matt Campbell fan. I do like him. I think he's a very good coach. I just, you know, there's something about him that I'm not sold because it always seems like, and we've talked about this on the pod before, 
in those years when Matt Campbell went wins over Texas or Oklahoma, he turns around and loses to Kansas. I mean, it's just it's he hadn't done that yet, but he may this year. No, yeah, it's just it, it's one of those things. He always in those seasons where he it, has these huge defining wins that he doesn't he doesn't. To be fair, it usually happens in September. You get Matt Campbell in October, I, he's really good. I get it, but it's just like he then but I mean he beat he'll beat Texas and then lose to a nobody. And I'm always just like, or he'll beat a good Oklahoma team and then lose to a nobody. And I'm always like, Yeah, that happened to us. I mean, it happened in Nebraska. We we beat all the huh. Marv Seiler just wrote. He did. Marv Seiler's still running. <laughs> and I get that 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 happens, but I mean for Nebraska. It was like this once in a f- like seven year span yeah, that, no, that we had a game like that. No, I get with it. Matt Campbell. That's like twice a year. Twice a year he has a couple of losses that you're just like, how the hell did you guys lose to those guys? He hasn't had it yet. Three and zero the Cyclones are. There you go. Yeah, so's Lance Leipold. Yes, he is. And Kansas is actually getting votes in this week's top 25 poll music means we're going to wrap it up for the week now the huskers are on a bye week that doesn't mean rob and i aren't going to record next week we are going to record uh we're going to do a doctor's diagnosis next week uh we're going to do other people's plays we're going to dive into be fun yeah that we'll, we'll go find some plays we'll from around a little, college a little football. iowa rutgers action maybe. uh I don't, well that could be like <laughs> a, 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 a five to three final in that game do you want to thank Betfred Sports for being the presenting sponsor of the Doc Talk podcast? Uh, if you want a free $20 bet, new customers, download the app. And if you live in Iowa, Arizona, or Colorado, use the promo code DOCTALK and you get yourself a free $20 bet. Big thanks to Husker Hounds, huskerhounds.com. Uh, Scotty just, uh, he's running a good old business there, right? Now, he, you know, with podcasting, Losings usually tend to be good for business because people like to listen when because misery yeah. loves company. It's, it's not good for retail. It's not very good for retail. Uh-uh. So to get your, you know, get your gear, go get to huskerhouse.com. Get, get your crate and gear. Scott will order you Iowa stuff. And we got to get uh, Connor Orr back on the podcast. He's a registered agent. He's a lawyer. They talk to him about this big red collective and ABM yeah, thing. Yeah, I want to find out. We we need to like circle back around to the yes. NIL stuff. So we need to we need to talk to him about that. Maybe we just have him come in next week to say, hey, because he was he was getting into bed with ABM. Now's a good time to you know pull back the sheets and run. Just saying, <laughs> just saying, Connor. Uh, you may want to think about it. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, like our Facebook, follow Dr. Rob on Twitter at Doc Talk Sports. Coming up on Wednesday night at eight o'clock, it's behind the point spread with uh, Scott Spritzer from Las Vegas. It's a great show, uh, very informative, uh, and we take your phone calls as well. So uh, be part of that. For Dr. Rob Zadiska, I'm Travis Justice. We will talk to you next time on the Doc Talk Podcast, presented by Betfred Sports. Mm-hmm.